Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barracchini, and Alex Hobson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 102 of Sticks in the Six. As always, presented by the NDL House. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Alex Hobson and Peter Barracchini. And gentlemen, not a whole lot to talk about when it comes to the hockey world not a whole lot of leaf talk anyways. Uh, we do have a, uh, you know, one of those things that we don't like to bring up off the top of the show, but we'll get that out of the way very quickly. Before we do though, we had a great episode last week with, uh, with uh, Jay Rosehill came on. He basically ran the episode. He was there for an hour with us. Great conversation. Uh, again, Alex, shout out to you for getting him on. It was, it was a hell of a, hell of an interview. Probably honestly, one of my favorites in the, in the hundred episodes that we've done. Yes. So it was, it was fantastic. It was great to have him on. Um, heading into this week, gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Peter, let's start to you first, buddy. Oh, uh, yeah, doing great. Obviously, that uh, you know, that episode with Jay was absolutely phenomenal, you know, with everything that he talked about from his career, um, you know, the highs, the lows, the big wow moments especially when he was talking about the coaches that was definitely something uh yeah it was going great this week you know kind of a slow week you know for me not a whole lot going on um just trying to be as calm as possible you know trying you know take care of myself take some days to myself but you know what overall it's going good beautiful that's good to hear alex how you doing buddy i'm doing all right we uh just wrapped up the uh the regular season for the ball hockey chronicles um the league that we play in is an absolute joke and uh they don't know how to schedule shit at the start of the year we requested specifically tuesdays and thursday nights for our games and i will mention that they asked us what nights we wanted so we gave them those days and uh they gave us sundays saturdays and mondays so we ended up having a having a thin roster for just about every game. We're we're last place in the league right now, but we were in the same situation last year in the fall, and we ended up uh, we ended up pulling out a, a decent playoff run, coming alive at the end. So, uh, uh, regular season's over, but lucky we're in one of those leagues that uh, uh, every team makes it, and the first team gets a buy. So, uh, thankfully, we will um, be made. We will be uh, heading into the playoffs next week. Although with the way that the league and the games are scheduled, we're actually for the first time this season going to be playing on days where, um, on days where that we actually requested 
the only issue is that they gave us back to back to back games. So we're playing game one on Tuesday night at like fucking 1030 at night. Um, game two on Wednesday and game three, if needed on Thursday. So it's going to be a grind of a couple days for me, boys, but, uh, I can use all the good omens that you guys can provide because, because we're going to need it at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll send you, we'll send you all the good vibes that we can for you, Alex. Um, key to the game would be score as many goals as possible and don't go quiet like the Leafs. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, I, I want to, I want to bring up a quick note uh, off the top of the show here from my point of view this week. Um, last week, as I mentioned, we had Jay Rosal on. He talked at the tail end, no plan on talking about this, but he talked at the tail end about mental health. Um, and us being in November, the three of us are doing our little November thing here. I got the blonde stash. I got the blonde Crosby going. You guys are looking fine as always. Um, but it is, it's a, it's, it's a month that we need to focus on men's health and, you know, check your balls, grab your beards, focus on, on your mental health as well. Um, for me over the last, uh, last week, um, uh, you know, over the last few years, it's been a struggle. Um, so for me, I've, uh, I've, I've looked for a little bit of, uh, help and help through that. Um, and, uh, had, had a great session this morning with, uh, with somebody on the outside, somebody that you can talk to. And, and that's my, that's my message is, you know, if you're out there, if you're struggling, uh, we're going into the cold months, we're going into the months where you're going to be locked down for, you know, however long, um, you know, reach out, reach out to one of us on Twitter. We're there, reach out to, you know, whoever, whoever you need to reach out to, because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it doesn't get talked about enough. And, uh, there's a lot of shitty people out there that won't be hearing from me ever again take the toxicity out of your life because they're not worth it. You are worth it. So that's off the top of the show. And it touches in on what we want to talk about right off the top as well. Um, Much has been made about this over the last week in the hockey world. And as it should be, I don't think we've done the, we we've done justice to the victim as much as we have the, the, the person who, who perpetrated these horrible acts. Um, That said, the Boston Bruins went out and signed Mitchell Miller, um, tarnished Mitchell Miller uh, to a three-year entry-level deal. Uh, it was a max AHL contract. Um, I mean, you name it. Like, every every aspect of this story made it so, so wrong. They never reached out to the family of, of his victim. Um, and on top of that, just never did their due diligence. And there's there's a lot of holes in the NHL story as well. I mean, Gary Bettman did come out and say he's never, you know, Mitchell Miller's never or not at this point ready to play in the NHL. But there was a lot of holes in their their story, story as well as to whether or not they looked into the signing before it happened. Um, before I kind of say my little bit of piece here, Alex, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, take it away with the Mitchell Miller stuff. So... Just to, to preface everything, you know, we every time a hockey culture story comes up, whether it's Hockey Canada or Kyle Beach or Jacob Panetta, the Jordan Subban thing, every time we've talked about something like that on the show, we always talk about how, you know, we're getting sick of talking about these stories. And it's not because we don't think that talking about the these stories mm-hmm. are necessary. That's actually the exact opposite. We're talking about these stories because for too long they've been they've been brushed under the rug and they haven't been talked about. So I think it's important that, you know, speaking of doing due diligence, I think the very least that we can do is sit here and have these discussions about the, the these stories that come out. Having said that, I can't help but feel a little bit helpless every single time we talk about something like this, just knowing that all we really can do 
is sit here and talk about it while we just discuss the fact that NHL teams will forever. And I don't want to say forever because we are making progress. We're going in the right direction, but it, there's still a ways, a ways to go when it comes to, when it comes to uh, making progress in this league. And as of right now, NHL teams and hockey teams generally across the world just completely lack the moral capacity to, to, to stop these things from happening. And the Mitchell Miller thing, I want to say it took me by surprise, but it didn't because, you know, hockey teams in the past, we've seen if they, it was bound to happen at some point. Yeah. It was bound to happen. If, if you know, if you're a hockey player and your skills can provide something on the ice, then NHL teams and hockey teams in general, don't give a shit about what you've done. Having said that the way that the Bruins approached this Miller thing was an absolute fucking train wreck from start to finish. And I can't flame them enough for the way that they, the way that they came about this, you know, I don't even know where to start with this, frankly, because it it feels like we're just going to be repeating a lot of the same things that we've said in the past. And, you know, not to diminish the, you know, the, uh, the, the impact of other horrible stories in hockey culture, but the Mitchell Miller situation was so unbelievably egregious in the sense that, you know, when you when you actually do your due diligence, like the Bruins didn't do, and you read the story and you read about what the victim's family had to say, there is absolutely no defending Mitchell Miller or anybody in this camp at all. And I think it's disgusting that the Bruins came out and signed him and brought his name back into the limelight because... <sighs> And again, I'm sorry, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm struggling to put these words together because again, it's, it's just, there's so much to pick apart about this and it's, it's impossible to kind of find a starting point, but you know, you could start with the fact that what Miller did was not a one-off incident. I know that that's been sort of cleared up in recent days, but a lot of people still seem to think that, you know, this was just a one-time thing. Mitchell Miller did something stupid when he was 14 years old and you know, he deserves a second chance, all that bullshit. It was not a one-off thing. Mitchell Miller bullied Isaiah Meyer Crothers for seven years, I believe it was. Harassed him up, too. Harassed him. You know what? It, I say bullying, but it was it was harassment. It was mental yeah. and physical torture, and it was mental anguish. And you know, you, you look back, and a lot of this stuff happened when he was in elementary school, when he was in middle school. So. <sighs> You know, I, I know that the knee-jerk reaction when you hear something like that is to say, oh, he was a little kid when it happened. He was, you know, he was he was young. He can there is there is a path to redemption. And that's true. There absolutely can be mm-hmm. a path to redemption for him. But we talked about this. I mean, I didn't talk about it with you guys because I wasn't on the show at the time, but I talked about it on, you know, a different podcast that I was on back then. And the number one red flag with this Miller thing is still how there was zero remorse from him. You know, people talk about how he made his apologies and, you know, he tried to reach out to Miller or whatever. That's bullshit. His his two apologies were A, a court mandate apology that was read by somebody else in court. And B, a fucking Snapchat message hours before he signed with the Bruins. It was half-assed. That does not tell me yeah. that Mitchell Miller has learned a single fucking thing. That tells me that Mitchell Miller was making a last-ditch effort to try and save his career and maybe kind of save face in the PR in the PR scheme of things. And the fact that so many people out there were ready to just accept his accept his joke of an apology on behalf of Isaiah and his family 
just it, it baffles me. And when you see the shit that M- Miller's parents were retweeting and stuff, and you know his dad's been all over Twitter, and all I can say is, you know, fuck, fuck the whole apple didn't fall far from the tree thing. The apple basically dropped below the tree in this sense. Like there's, there is, like you can see, you know, it's easy to just blame Miller for all this, but you can see where he gets this from. His parents seem like equally big pieces of shit in this situation. And you talk about how his mom and you're sorry you read about how his mom was reaching out to miller's or sorry um the victim's family and trying to make excuses and say shit like oh yeah you know that that little that little push pop thing that he dipped into the urinal was washed off before he gave it to isaiah as if that makes the situation any better and she kept going back to the whole boys will be boys thing. So frankly, this is not just a Mitchell Miller thing. It's a, it's, it's a whole thing with his parents. And it's, it's concerning that the entire city of Sylvania, Ohio seems to be backing Miller on this. Everybody keeps saying, come to, come to Ohio and get the whole story from the regulars and stuff. And you know what? If it comes down to it, I am not going to listen to the racist pieces of shit that Miller and his family surround themselves with. I'm going to listen to the person and the family of the person who were, at the forefront of all this the entire time isaiah and his family and you know what he reached out to the hockey diversity alliance and if you haven't read the statement yet i strongly encourage you to go out and read it because frankly at this point that's all that matters Mm -hmm. and it instantly put to rest every single you know notion out there that Meyer that meyer crothers and miller were still friends and you know they were they were joking all along and they were buddies throughout their lives they were not friends and you know, there's there's people trying to go around and sort of set like a redemption tour for Miller here and say like and it, like his his agent, for example, Eustace King, went out and basically basically sort of put out an audio puff, uh, puff piece around Mitchell Miller saying, you know, these guys were actually friends. It wasn't as dire as the the media is making it out to be, et cetera, et cetera. And to me, that is the most disheartening part about this because Miller had sorry, not Miller. Meyer Crothers had to go and write out an entire statement and relive all that trauma that he went through throughout his throughout his time in school when he was going to school with Mitchell Miller. All because there are people out there who, for whatever fucking reason, are trying to ensure that Mitchell Miller has a second chance at an NHL career. And that's what pisses me off more than anything else. You know, nobody is saying that Miller needs to be thrown in jail and barred any chance from participating in society ever again. There is a path forward for for somebody like Mitchell Miller, if he's serious about changing. That path forward is not signing in the NHL, making more money than more money than a good chunk of the American population and doing the absolute bare minimum to be higher, higher privileged. And it's just that a privilege getting to play a childhood dream and do what so many better people and hockey players around the world would dream of doing every single day. That's the part that pisses me off the most. You know, if Miller was serious about changing, his name would be kept out of the public eye. He would be doing things on his own time, going to diversity training, doing community work, trying to improve himself as a person and trying to actually make an honest fucking effort to, to, to understand where people are coming from and understand the weight of what he, how, of how wrong all those things that he did really were. And the fact that the Bruins didn't even consult Myra Crothers or his or his family at all before signing Miller that 
That is bullshit. And you're telling, you know, there's insiders around the NHL saying that the Bruins did their due diligence and they, you know, this was not an easy process and they went through this whole thing and it's been in the works for the past year or something like that. And that's just flat out not true. Meyer Crothers, he, he diminished any possibility of that being the truth when he came out with that statement. And it just, it, it sickens me that the Bruins... And you know what? I say the Bruins, but realistically, this is on the whole NHL. Because if the Bruins didn't sign him, there would have been another team that signed him. And, you know, I got to say kudos to the Bruins players and the, anybody within the organization for speaking out and call, rightfully calling out the front office and saying, listen, we were blindsided by this. We had no idea this was going to happen. But it, it's it, it's frankly bullshit that his name was brought back into the light at all. And that's the number one beef that I have with this. You know, it was bad for Meyer Crothers because he had to relive all this trauma for no reason, just because people are so hell bent on getting a piece of shit of a person into the NHL. So it's on the Bruins for that. But on top of that, Miller's name did not have to be brought back into the public light. Like I said, if he really gave a shit about trying to change as a person, he doesn't need his hockey career to do that. He could have done that on his own time. And, you know, if you're if if he proves that he actually changes and he talked to the victim directly and not just reach out to him, like, within 48 hours before signing with the Bruins to try and, you know, try and mend the wound, then maybe there is a path back to the NHL for him and it, it, eventually. Because, you know, if you do, for the things that you do when you're 14 to 20 years old, and, and again, this goes so beyond bullying, but... The fact of the matter is you can learn from your mistakes and learn from what you've done. And you can try and shed the environment that you grew up in and try and be a better person going forward. And you don't have to make the NHL to do that. So the only way that I think it would have been acceptable for Mitchell Miller's name to be back in the public light and to be even talked about in signing an NHL deal would have been if he did all these steps and there was genuine, legitimate proof that he had made an effort to change. But so far, that effort's not there. And it doesn't look like it's going to be at any point because if it was, then why why would he have not reached out sooner? Why would he have not been in constant contact with his family and or Meyer Crowther's family rather? And why would he not have been there that entire time trying to better himself as a person and go directly to the source of the person that he hurt all those years to try and better himself? And, you know, the most heartbreaking part of that statement was at the end when he said that there are people out there who are going into Meyer Kroger's DMs and calling him the N-word and basically making him out to be, you know, making him out to be the perpetrator in all this as if, as if Miller didn't bring all this on himself and as if Myers didn't do anything besides, besides take all that abuse for so many years for no reason. So I'm going to keep talking in circles here if I keep rambling on, but in the end, it's, it's just an absolute joke on the NHL, on the Bruins, and any fucking team that even considered signing him. Because fact of the matter is, when that police report came out and you saw all the shit that he did, that should have been the end of it right there. That should have been the end of it. I don't care. I don't care who, like how much this guy could help a team. I don't care what kind of NHL potential he has. I don't care about his on-ice skills. There are certain lines you don't cross. And the Bruins crossed that line. The NHL allowed him to cross that line. So... I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm kind of running out of words to say because again, it's it, it's just we we've repeated this conversation and we've repeated these things a number of times and we're going to keep repeating them as long as they keep happening. But I'm really I I really just do not see 
any change in the NHL happening, if you're going to, if you're going to try and give a second chance, a quote unquote second chance to a guy who, you know, didn't make one slip up and, and accidentally say something racist or say something homophobic or whatever, didn't just do this once. If, if you're going to give a second chance to a guy who did this for years and years and years and even in the in the years following the last incident has still yet to show any sort of actual remorse i don't see any fucking hope in things changing as of right now and you know it's going to be up to the nhl and the teams to, to to kind of reinstate that hope among among their fans and among the people in the league but right now it just it just further proves that hockey has not changed and has no plans on changing anytime soon so that's that's my piece peter what do you what do you have to say about uh what's going on uh, I mean, Alex basically covered it in that whole entire thing. I mean, well said. I mean, and, and and Alex, your point when you said that, like, you know, there's always a path to redemption, right? But considering the fact that he kept doing this year after year after year, and the Bruins said that, oh, it was a one-time thing, and then based on new information, it was an ongoing thing. We already knew it was an ongoing thing, that it was happening for years. I don't know why the Bruins automatically had to go backtrack and say that, oh, yeah, based on new information, this is an ongoing thing. We already knew that. So we already know that the Bruins were already flat out lying. Um, like you said, if it, if it, like one, like if it was a one-time incident and, you know, he learned from his mistakes and he was doing better for himself, then maybe, like you said, Alex, there is a path to the NHL. There is no way for this. The fact that he has been hovering over him, making him feel like, I don't like, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but making him feel the, the way he is throughout the whole entire thing. And the fact that, the HDA gave Isaiah uh, Meyer Crothers the platform to tell a story. The real story says it all that he deserves to have his side um, told because it was all about Mitchell Miller's side. And now that, we, well, we already heard about it through other like outlets with his uh, parents, his mother talking about that, telling the true story. This is straight from his words. And even what, what took me by surprise is the fact that Miller was also like, constantly trying to message him through social media and they were talking and then you know miller said that he was uh doing stuff in the community and helping the youth and this is uh uh isaiah said that's cool but where is the proof though did not give a response so he already knew flat out that miller was lying throughout <clears throat> this whole entire thing trying to save himself and just trying to make himself look good and like you said, Alex, if he really wanted to better himself, he would be doing these steps constantly throughout his year after this incident or after everything that has happened. The fact that they, he hasn't learned his lesson, the fact that he continued to do this year after year after year shows that he's not sorry for what he did. He continued to do it and he willfully knew what he was doing was wrong. And like you said, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I honestly think that, you know, Kids learn from their parents. I honestly think that, you know, with that mentality, the way that he was treating him and the way that his uh, mom was trying to speak to Isaiah's mom and try to say, well, boys will be boys. What does that say? Just says it right then and there. But the biggest thing to me throughout this whole entire thing is, I mean, again, just that message from Isaiah, it, it was really po powerful. It was really horrific. It was horrendous. Like, I was just absolutely gutted reading that whole entire thing. Like, I really felt for him, like, my heart and support goes out to him and him and his family alone through going through this whole ordeal because no one should have to go through that. Um, Yeah, and even Sweeney, too. Like, in that, everything that went wrong in that conference when they signed Miller, everything that could have gone wrong 
went wrong. Like they didn't even say the right things. They 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 try to like make it a PR ploy and all that. They try to use tactics and all that. Didn't quite work out. Because Sweeney even said, I can't categorically tell you this was the right decision. And this is from Ian McLaren. Also, he added, um, he's not sure he'd be able to forgive Miller if this happened to his own kid. Sorry, Peter, I need to cut you off there. That was the most egregious part of that entire exactly right there. Because yeah. what that tells me is Sweeney is saying, yeah, if it was my kid, I'd be pretty pissed off. But it's not but, my kid, and I'm running an NHL you, team, so fuck him. And why are you forgiving this kid right now? If you would, if it, if you felt the same way about your own kid, it would be the same way across the board. And the fact that he had to say that is, if this is how you really felt, like I can't tell you it was category, like you know, the right thing to do. Then why the hell would you do it in the first place? If you knew deep down that you know what, this isn't the right thing to do. Oh, we're going to go ahead and go ahead and do it. What are you thinking? Like that's just absolutely the dumbest thing that I've ever heard, and I can't believe he said that because he just got lambasted. And I saw a lot of the quote tweets and comments are just like then why did you do this? Why are you doing this? Everyone said the exact same thing. But, you know, I, again, I'm not going to, I'm going to be saying a lot of the things that Alex said, you know, just hockey in general needs to be better. Players need to be better. And as much as, you know, I, I commend Patrice Bergeron, Nick Foligno, and for what he's done on the ice too, like we could agree or disagree about Brad Marchand's play on the ice, but off the ice, he is a true leader. And mm-hmm. the fact that he, Brad Marchand is saying something and everybody else is in agreeing in, in agreement with everybody else on the team shows that management totally screwed up on this. There's no way this contract should have happened. There's no way they should have even talked to Mitchell Miller about this. And it's just an absolute nightmare for the Bruins. But then again, I'm not going to close it off by focusing on Miller and the Bruins. I'm going to be Isaiah if you're out there. Listening to this, we have your back. A lot of people in the hockey community have your back and you have our support. That's all that really matters right now. And we will continue to defend, you know, people in your situation nonstop, continue to have a voice, continue to show the strength that you have. And you know what? Again, we, we just have we just have your back. I mean, that, that that's the most important thing through all this. And I can't believe that with that message, Again, it was really powerful, and I'm sorry that he had to go through this. I'm sorry that Miller tormented you through all these years, but just know there are people in your corner, and there are people going to fight for you. So I'm I'm glad you brought up the the quote um, about you know if it was my kid that uh, you know I'd I'd be looking at it differently um, because it, it it's it's so telling it's it's a societal issue right mm-hmm. um you we're going to step away from hockey for a second but you look at after every every mass shooting down in the states and nothing's done because yeah. well it didn't happen to my kid and if it happened to my kid it might be a little bit different i might react a little differently and they they refuse to answer that question well now we're talking about it in a smaller scale um you know we're in the hockey world and there's this thing called re-victimization. And what we've done is we've re-victimized Isaiah Meyer Cromwell, mm. uh, Cromwell and Crothers, sorry, Crothers. Um, and we've re-victimized him. Hockey Canada has re-victimized every single victim that has, you know, had to put up with whatever is going on with Hockey Canada. Um, 
Jake Vertanen getting a PTO this summer that re-victimized his victims. There's this lack of caring. It's a lack of caring. And, and I mean, the, the one thing that I will agree with, with, with Don Sweeney is that, yeah, you know what, if it happened to my kid, I don't, I don't know what I would do. And if, if, and believe me, if it was my kid that was in Mitchell Miller's shoes, it would be a, it would be a different story that a hundred percent Alex has everything to do with parenting has everything to do with parenting. And, and we've seen exactly what, where he came from. And that's not taking any of the onus off 14 year old Mitchell Miller, who, you know, I was only 14 boys being boys. How many 14 year olds do you see doing that shit? How many 14 year olds? Cause I'll tell you right now, probably not many. And if they do it, they do it once and they learn their fucking lesson. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem here is that it wasn't, it wasn't a lesson learned. It wasn't like, you know, I made a mistake. I, it is, you know, I, I can grow from this hundred percent. There's a, there's a, there's a road towards, you know, uh, redemption for this kid, for Mitchell Miller there there. Yeah, sure. But you got to see the steps and the NHL is not part of it ever. Not to, not today, not tomorrow, not 10 years from now. Hockey's done. That that's a privilege that you had and you wasted it because you felt this need to torture another kid. And that's, let's call it what it was. It's torture. Mm-hmm. Assault on the mind, on the body. You, 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 you made this kid feel like garbage. Not only that, not only did he make him feel like garbage, he lied to him and made him feel like he was a friend of his. Yeah. He used to invite Myers, Meyer Crowders to sit next to him on the bus because he wanted to be his friend only to sit there lambast him and call him the n-word and say what was what was it he said that it, you know his black parents didn't love him that's why he has white parents that's why like white that is parents, so yeah. unbelievably fucked up to say yeah. you're a garbage person yeah. mitch and you're not going to you don't deserve a shot in the nhl until you prove otherwise like sorry, sorry no 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 i but this no. is this is exactly the problem though is because look at look at the holes that have come to light because of this signing, the, the the holes that allow people like this back into the league, the holes that allow teams to sign these players, the holes at at you know NHL head office where, yeah, sorry, we didn't know about the signing until after it was done. Well, every signing has to go through a process at head office, so you knew something was going on. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, as you mentioned, Alex, how many other teams were lined up to sign this kid? There's a reason he got a max AHL deal. There's a reason. There's, a, there's and, also a reason, like the, another thing too. It's not a coincidence at all that the Bruins signed Mitchell Miller the day before they played the Leafs in Toronto in one of the biggest media hotbeds in North America. Mm-hmm. If you're because we've seen in the past with signings like this, teams will oftentimes try to like sort of brush it under the rug and sort of do it without getting too much media attention. So the fact that the Bruins were okay with doing this knowing that they'd be in the spotlight and they prearranged that interview with between uh, Elliot Friedman, I think it was, and, um, and Patrice Bergeron. The fact that they had all this shit plans out tells me that they, that there were more teams interested in doing this because they wouldn't have taken all that extra spotlight if they were the only team. Mm -hmm. But I mean, good on, good on Bergeron for sitting there and and saying what he did. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't hold it, hold back any punches. No. And, and what's crazy about the whole thing too, is like Don Sweeney telling um, Mitchell Miller when he's driving him from the airport that, Hey, if this goes sideways, 
I'll be the one driving you back. Like you knew damn well at the very beginning that something was going to go wrong. You knew mm-hmm. that like if you're Sweeney and this, this is the part that blows my mind. Sweeney for the last number of years has taken a lot of criticism for how shitty of a GM he is. Okay. Your team's off to a 10 and one start. You go out and sign maybe one of the most hated people in hockey right now. And he was drafted by the Arizona Coyotes and they gave him up. That right there tells you that this guy doesn't belong in the league. And still you go out and make that signing. And there's right now there's, there's so much distrust within the organization, but also within the league because everything goes over Bill Daly's desk, every, every signing. So somewhere down the road, he got, he got the paperwork that put this into play. And now what makes it worse is that, yeah, the Bruins can go ahead and and wave him whatever they want to do. This kid's still going to get paid. And the NHL PA now is in his corner because now he's signed to a contract. Now he's part of the, the, uh, association the association they are going to back him and and what he quote unquote deserves and you, you can't te- like deserve it deserve is a word that should be taken right out of the vocabulary in this in this instance i saw this on twitter earlier today and i, I really resonated with it and agreed with it you know what would really be a nice motion to prove that mitchell miller's changed if he took the money that he gets from this contract and donated it to isaiah's family yeah. Or donated it to local organizations that help underprivileged black youth and people of color and, you know, or anti anti bullying organizations. Put that money where your fucking mouth is and prove that you've changed and prove that you're actually making efforts to do better. Otherwise, it's just fucking wordplay. And another thing that I was going to point out, and I'm I, I want to preface this by saying I am in no way trying to defend Don Sweeney because ultimately he's the GM and he made the call. But the way that he was answering those questions almost makes me wonder if his hand was kind of forced by either Cam Neely or Jeremy Jacobs, because, you know, all the all the quotes look bad. Like I just flamed him for saying that he wouldn't Mm -hmm. be able to forgive, uh, forgive someone if someone did that to his own kid. But I'm just I, I, you know, it almost makes me wonder if maybe Jeremy Jacobs or someone higher up in the Bruins organization had had the upper hand here and kind of forced Sweeney to do it and sort of threatened his job over it. I don't know why they would do that. And I have no reason to believe he would do that over fucking Mitchell Miller of all people, but the, I I don't know, just the way that Sweeney approached the entire thing, it it seemed like a walking contradiction because everything that he said about the signing indicated that he wasn't, you know, he knew that it was, he knew it had potential to backfire and he knew that, you know, it was he was going to get flamed, and he knew that how horrible the situation was. And it, it equally wouldn't shock me if if he was just saying that to get the media off his back, and he actually did want to sign Mitchell Miller. But I, I just wonder about the possibility of someone higher up in the organization forcing his hand here. One of one of the most one of the most powerful people in hockey, uh, Jeremy Jacobs. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, I it, either way, it wouldn't surprise me either. But I mean. It, there's a lot of things that didn't add up in this entire situation. So his, his quotes included the way he talked about the signing included. Um, but regardless, as I mentioned, there, there's a distrust now with the NHL. Um, and, and as you said, Alex, we're going to talk about this every time something like this happens, because there needs to be a voice. It needs to continue to be talked about. Otherwise it just falls off the shoulders and we, we forget about it. And, you know, 
all of a sudden you've got guys like Mitchell Miller in the league. And what's crazy about this whole situation is that it also came out yesterday that a guy like Logan Mayu is still not eligible to play in the NHL. And there are Montreal Canadiens fans talking about how this guy is like the next prospect that's going to come up after Caden Gooley did. And he's still not eligible. And that's, that to me, and I, I'm right. I'm working on a piece for the hockey writers on the Mitchell Miller situation and how the NHL failed at hockey and, and how the Bruins failed hockey. And that to me is still the most surprising thing is that you've got two guys now that are ineligible to play in the NHL and yet are signed to, to contracts, making money off of these NHL teams. And that's where that's where the, the the forget the gray area around goaltender interference and all that bullshit in the rule book. Why is there a gray area as to who is signed to, to NHL contracts if they're ineligible to play? And that's that to me is the biggest question mark that comes from this whole thing is that there needs to be a whole overhaul on 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 all of this shit because now, as I mentioned, the NHLPA gets involved, and you're going to see a kid like Mitchell Miller make money off of this. And that's that's the scariest part. Um, so where's the accountability? Where where do you get where do you get you know somebody like that that's going to say you know what I'm not going to do anything because you know I uh, I might lose my future in the NHL. Well, no, you might still get paid seven hundred fifty thousand for playing in the AHL. You know, one other thing that I want to mention before we move on from this, um, it was pretty concerning to see the angle that Mark Frazier took on this whole thing. I was yeah. going to bring that up. I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. This is a guy who's a, he's a black man himself and he's in the Maple Leafs organization. His job is literally promoting diversity, inclusion, and equity in the organization. And, you know, I understand that Eustace King was his agent as well when they played, but it was he also very, represents Wayne Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very concerning to see, the angle that he took and sort of defend Mitchell Miller and sort of go after and say, you know, what about his side of the story? I, I, I don't know if his stance on that has changed when, uh, since Meyer Crowther's statement came out, but I don't know. It's that that's concerning that, you know, the guy that's supposed to be pro- promoting diversity, inclusion, equity in the, in the Maple Leafs dressing room and in the organization in general is, is taking the angle that he is. So I, I, I'm, I wonder if the Leafs or how the Leafs, if they are, are going to address that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It takes away mm-hmm. that angle of everybody. Well, it's just because it's the Bruins. No, we're, you know, anybody that took that, that stance needs, it, it's a question that needs to be asked. And honestly, I, I, I do wonder, I do want to know where the Maple Leafs stand with that. I, I want to know, I know, you know, Twitter's used for personal, um, you know, personal opinions as well. And, you know, maybe that's it. But when you're, when you're associated with an organization like that, whatever you say can come off in, in a way that um you know can really really affect it, the organization that you work for and so that's 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 a big question for the maple leafs and the the upper management of that organization as well um did you guys have anything else you wanted to add to this i mean i i know it's a it's kind of an ongoing story i i think mm-hmm. it will until until something's done about miller um but I, I, at this point in time, I don't have much else to say about uh, around this situation. Yeah. yeah, neither do I. We'll, we'll circle back when the next fucking piece of shit. Ball NHL drops. Yeah. Absolutely. Gets signed yeah. To an it's it's going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of oh, when. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, 
anyways, jumping over to some Maple Leaf talk, uh, we'll we'll throw it to uh, Peter. You first, Ryan. Ryan Twerberg. Twerberg. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not the. I'm not the pronunciation police here. Yeah, uh, Ryan. Twerberg. I only learned it from Alex because he was the one that corrected me as well when saying his pronunciation. So there yeah. you go. There Did you I, go. Play. Really? I, I feel like I've I never think, been the guy to correct someone's pronunciation. I think it was you or <laughs> Nick Richard. Oh, it must, it must've been Nick Richard because I was sitting, I remember in that interview, I was sitting there calling Shalgren, Eric Calgren for the fucking yeah. first half of the interview. And then he was like, Hey, by the way, it's actually Shalgren. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think it's, it was either what it was one of those two. So I know that for a fact. Yeah. There you go. Playing for the University of Connecticut, obviously a, a Maple Leaf uh, prospect, um, seventh round pick back in 2020. Um, having a year so far, seven goals, 11 points through 11 games, 10 points through his last 10 games and six points through his last five games. He's got five goals over the last five games. So he was named, um, what was it? The uh, Division One NCAA Player of the Week last week. All good news for Maple Leafs prospects right now. Um, what are you seeing, Peter? Yeah, Division One NCAA Hockey East uh, uh, Player of the Week. Um, honestly, we all talk about like finding those like you know depth pieces or like energy type players that could have a significant impact later in the draft. And Torberg is basically one of those players that's going to have an impact for the Maple Leafs down the line. Um, you know, you just talked about a stat line right now. You know, again, point per game player right now. Um, he's just absolutely phenomenal what he's able to do um, just overall. I mean, he's gritty. He's relentless. He's in your face. Um, just an absolute pock hound. Like, he's always going and attacking no matter what situation that he's in. He wants a battle, and he's going to come out on top, and he's got a lethal lethal shot um a couple highlights last year and even this year is becoming on full display right now so the fact that he has that energy that work ethic that drive that he has um to possibly be a factor or a key piece for the maple Leafs down the line it's a great sign because what he's doing right now because he was just under a point per game in his second season last year and he was named it Named it again this time around. So the fact that he's able to have the season that he is right now, um, 11 points, 11 games, like you just mentioned right now, uh, it's a great start for him. It's great. I actually, I'm actually want to see more from him, but at the same time, I've been impressed with what he's doing or accomplishing right now in his third season at Connecticut. Alex, I won't uh, throw a specific question about the player, but NCAA seems to be a breeding ground now for, for top prospects coming out. And obviously Matthew Nyes is in the NCAA as well. Um, it's really taken off over the last, I, I don't know, let's say decade um, in terms of, you know, growing NHL talent um, as, as a prospect guy as well. What do you see from the NCAA and some of the leaf prospects playing in that league? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's clear that the Leafs have sort of found I won't say found their niche because, you know, it's not really like the fucking NHL you know, Leafs strapping NCAA players is a Leafs exclusive thing. But, um, you know, it, it's no secret that they found some of their better players in that league over the past couple of years. And um, obviously a lot of that depends on the team that 
these guys, the teams that these guys are playing for. But um, it, it's just encouraging to see a couple of a uh, couple of guys who look like they can be these guys that come up within the next couple of years and um, and contribute to the team on on cheap deals. Like I, and it doesn't just end at Nyes and Torberg. I mean, you look at what Alex Steves has done so far in the AHL. He's just waiting for his shot in the NHL. Nick Abrazzesi was really he had he had a nice solid NCAA career. He's in the AHL as well, but. You know, these are all guys, and Keith Petrozelli is another one. Um, these are all guys who uh, had solid NCAA careers, and, you know, whether or not they're going to pan out is kind of remains to be seen. But um, you can definitely tell that the Leafs are comfortable picking players out of the NCAA, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be intriguing to see uh, what the guys who are there right now end up carving out in terms of their NHL careers. We talk about development, and Timothy Lilligren is a perfect example of a guy that you know, developed within the AHL, um, maybe didn't have it right away, but came up, had a good tail end of the season, got injured, obviously, in in preseason and uh, came back. And, and I mean, man, did he ever look good last uh, last game with two goals uh, and really using that shot. And, and what drew, what was crazy about it was that during the uh, during the intermission, he says to uh, Mark Masters, you know, this is my worst game by far. Um Alex, I want to get your thoughts on Timothy Lilligren and the development we've seen from him. Is he potentially a top four guy for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Absolutely. I, I even said the other day that if he keeps playing and developing the way that he is, I think he could be a top two guy. You know, a lot of, and, you know, some people who, who don't follow the Leafs might hear that take and say, oh, it's a classic Leafs homer take. You probably, you probably think that Rasmus Sandin's going to put up 90 points in the next season. No. So, you know, you look at you look at Timothy Lilligren's track record. This guy isn't just a you know a, a solid prospect that the Leafs drafted and they're they're looking to develop. This guy was supposed to go second overall behind Nolan Patrick in 2017, and it was like that for a couple of years. Bob McKenzie, in his early draft rankings in 2017, had him as you know the best defenseman in that draft class by far. And if I recall correctly, I'm pretty sure that was the draft class that Kale McCarr was in. So. You know, I'm not saying that Kale McCarr, like Lilligren is going to be better than Kale McCarr, but it speaks volumes when at the time Lilligren was supposed to be that guy in that draft class. And, you know, I think everybody kind of slept on him a little bit just because the, he took so long to get to the NHL. But for a team who, you know, you look at what they did with Luke Shen, they drafted him fifth overall. He was supposed to be the defenseman of the future for the Leafs, rushed him to the NHL, and it didn't work out in Toronto. They put him under way too much pressure. Meanwhile, you look at Timothy Lilligren and, you know, he came to the AHL. He spent, I think, four seasons in the AHL. And even last year and the year before, he, he you know, he had a game, and, game or two here and there, but he was still mostly developing in the AHL. I think the fact that this guy had a hernia and missed all of training camp and preseason, came back, basically hit the ground running, and instantly looked like one of their best defensemen on the ice. I really think that there's untapped potential for this guy. And I think, you know, it's going to be easier to help get him there once he has a stable defensive partner. I hope that when this defensive course is fully healthy and when they, you know, when they're in their final form, I'd love to see him on a pairing with Mark Giordano full-time because they look great last year. They look great in the small sample size this year, but I really like that more than anything else, we're seeing the solid defensive game from Lilligren we're seeing a little bit of physicality, which isn't expected from a guy like him. And the offense looks like it could come. I mean, he scored two goals against uh, against Vegas on Tuesday. 
obviously, you know, we had that giveaway as well. There's still kinks to be worked out, but Lilligren overall, I just think is, I, I think he's a guy that this, he's a defenseman this team has been waiting for for a long time. He's right-handed and I'm really interested to see if he can keep up this development process because I think the tools are all there. I think he just needs, he needs more time to sort of marinate in the NHL and, and get used to it. But so far, I mean, he's looked like one of their best defensemen in the games that he's played so far. So I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged by what I've seen so far. Peter, your thoughts on the poise of Timothy Lilgren as he continues his NHL progression. I'm just going to say to the people that wanted to trade him after his like third or fourth year, when he's still a 19, 20 year old, when he's still in the AHL and he hasn't taken any steps, uh, man, those takes are coming back to haunt you right now, I guess, because there were some takes that they wanted to trade him right away. And maybe so, maybe I was in there too. Maybe if he got like a really great package deal for a current right-handed defenseman or left-handed shot that, you know, can be a factor, but he's starting to show why the patience paid off and why the Maple Leafs have had faith in him because he's living up to that uh, uh, draft uh, season right now because when um Mark Hunter was drafted him, he basically said that this is a quote, and this is an article back on Sportsnet from Mike Johnson, a different Mike Johnson. Um, he he said he's a talented young man, and when he fell that far, it was a no-brainer. So, like Alex said, he was a potential top two player, top three in that draft class, but because of mono, it actually it, it did have an impact on him. <clears throat> and the fact that he was already a great skater, possessed the great shot, the great offensive awareness, and the fact that it's all coming together right now is it's the perfect, you know, the perfect uh, moment for him to try and run away with the spot on the right-hand side. And we know how desperately they need a right-hand defenseman. I mean, Justin Hall has looked, you know, relatively okay these last few games. He's actually looked pretty decent considering the start that he had and, you know, know, the egregious stairs that he's shown but he's still not enough to cut it on the right-hand side. I did, I always liked the Riley-Brody pairing, but I think right now when you move Brody over to the left side because of Muzzin's absence, and we still don't know what's going to happen with him, Lilligren is that perfect balance of offensive defense where you, we know how much Riley has even struggled in his own end at times this season. If Lilligren is able to, you know, figure out the positioning and how plays are going to unfold a little bit better. I think it's going to work out very well because he has the awareness. He has the mindset to play strong defensively. And even if Morgan Riley is making a bad play, Lilligren is there to cover for him. Kind of like what uh, Brody was obviously still, you know, this is only his second season right now. Uh, but so far, no sophomore slump kind of thing because he's, you know, taking the opportunity and running away with it. He looks poised. He looks confident in what he's doing on the ice. And honestly, I knew he had a good shot, but man, those two snipes against the Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> really does provide some assurance that the Maple Leafs do have an offensive defenseman on their hand, but can play that strong two-way game. Again, the physicality, the you know, positioning, the ability to like keep defenders to the outside is the mainstay of his defensive game. And even so, he, that first shift that he had when he just circled around the net and then passed the puck to Denny to Kaiser with his first game in the Marlies, I am automatically knew, okay, get this guy up right now. He deserves it. He's ready. 
let's get him going. And he hasn't slowed down ever since. And in three games so far, um, obviously, you know, even looking at some of his numbers, he's got some good numbers, obviously three games that needs to change. But at the same time, looking at his numbers last season, um, there's a site called puck IQ and it differentiates like the level of competition and like goals for percentage, Corsi for shots, uh, shot attempts, uh, percentage. It, it categorizes everything. And against elite competition, Lilligren did have a 49.8 Corsi for percentage. Uh, but when you look at his goals for percentage, that was a 64% against elite level competition. So this is going up against, you know, First, second liners, top four defensemen. If he's able to find that consistency and that kind of production against top tier competition, look out because he's going to be a stud on defense. Yeah, I mean, poise and skating, I think, are are definitely two of the strengths that we've seen so far this season. And and I I like I like being up in that top four. I think I think, and this is this is no, you know, this is no knock on on Morgan Riley, but you guys know how I feel about him and is getting getting shots through from the point and, and hitting the, the opponent, oh, yeah. opponent's pan, pads. Um, I think this is the guy that you need. You need a guy like Timothy Lilligren that has that shot, which he he definitely put on display last game. And and it's one of those things where he said, you know, like I, I've always known I've had a good shot. I just don't use it enough. Well, now's the time to use it because that's, no, continue, continue. Uh, I was just about to say, and that's the difference between him and Riley and other players. He ha- he knows he has a shot. He needs to utilize it more. Riley, his shot, I he does have good power and accuracy at the point, but his decision making hits the, the fa- pads every goddamn every time, time. Every time when he waits it out, it doesn't end well. He passes up on the wrong opportunity. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And and I think Lilligren right now is he's not there yet. But this is a guy that could be your number one. I, I I truly believe he could be a number one, and I think he can step into that role as as Morgan Riley kind of gets further on with his career into the back nine. I've I've never believed that Morgan Riley is a number one. I think he's a two three. I think Timothy Lilligren, barring any any you know massive downslide in his in his development, is the guy that you need at your number one and. Man, that shot is something else. If he can continue to get it through and not piss me off the way that Morgan Riley does, he he could go down as one of my favorite uh, Maple Leaf defensemen yeah. in a long time. Did you, catch, did you catch his quote in the press conference the other day when he was like, yeah, you know, I never really used my shot before, but then I realized that I don't piss off Andrew Forbes when I shoot. Yeah, so yeah, I know. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> I'll talk about it every day. If he, if he continues to shoot like that and gets gets, you know, production from it, I'll talk about it every single episode. I don't even care. You know what? Honestly, like, I don't know what it's going to take, but I really want to see Sheldon Keith use him on the power play. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. with all due mm-hmm. respect to Rasmus Sandin, I don't think his offense is there yet. And he hasn't really shown that he's been able to, you know, make much of an impact on PP2. And, you know, part of that is 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 due to the fact that PP2 maybe gets 30 seconds per power play if they're lucky. So it's there's not as much of an opportunity for him to really show his... Uh, show his abilities as much as maybe Morgan Riley does. But I think when it comes down to it, I understand leaving Riley on the power play because regardless of how annoying his, you know, his shot selection is and things like that, um, he is the veteran guy and he does, he's had lots more experience running a power play than Rasmus Sandin has. So I, I you know, what, and maybe this is a hot take. I, I'd almost like to see Lilligren get a shot on PP1. And, you know, I, I doubt it'll get to that point because Riley's been there for so long. 
Um, but if not that, I want him to get a shot on the power play because that was one of his strong suits when he was drafted. Bob McKenzie was saying, you know, this is a guy that can, he can control a power play unit. He can mm-hmm. quarterback a power play. And that's one of his strengths. So I, I, I want to see him get more of an opportunity on the man advantage. It's interesting you brought up the power play one because how unpredictable and how much more lethal can that right-hand shot be compared to a left-hand shot? I'm just wondering right now how much more of an impact can just switching up the shots left or right make on the power play one because having a right-handed shot could be a lot more deceptive than possibly a left-handed shot because left-handed shots are, are, are very consistent. You switch it up and flip it around. Who knows what can happen? Maybe some magic can happen with Lilligren passing it off to the right-hand side, faking a one-timer, or even taking that shot when he has that chance. It take it, it would take time to adapt, and that that's the thing. I think people would other other teams would would take time to get used to it. But yeah, I mean, this is a guy that keep your eye on because even coming in late in this season, I think it was you, Alex, who said this is this guy's got potential for forty points. And I mean, I, I don't uh, I, I don't disagree in any any way, shape, or form. But uh, anyways, boys, when you need to grab when you need to grab a break. Hockey is back, and so are Maple Leafs, our beloved Maple Leafs. Getting ready for a night out or watching the game at home with the gang, what better way to do it than with a nice cold one from the folks at Indie Ale House in Toronto? With two locations in the city at Italy, Toronto, at Bay and Bloor, the Bureauteca location, they have two big screens, amazing authentic Italian food, and loads of beer also at OG Brew Pub in the Junction and Kiel and Dundas. With 120 seats, famous bar food, and 12 taps. Indie Ale House is an award-winning brewery featuring their flagship Instigator IPA and dozens of rotating monthly special release beers. Perfect for takeout, dine-in, or bottle shop online orders when planning for game night. You can find Instigator IPA or the lovely Marco Polo Pilsner at finer LCBOs across the province as well. Hashtag Live Indie is the motto. Adventurous, fun-focused beers with a selection for everyone from a healthy dose of in-your-face hoppy beers for the beer geeks to mainstream pilsners and easy drinking options, Indie Ale House is the go-to for game day. Visit www.indialehouse.com to place your orders today and definitely check out two of the, both both the locations. Uh, some great food there as well. Um, uh, before we kind of close this down here, boys, I want to talk a little bit about the back-to-back versus Boston and Carolina, and then the the game against Vegas. Three tough opponents. I don't know what the hell was going on with scheduling at the NHL office, but having two games less than 24 hours apart, um, that was that was wild for the Maple Leafs. They stole four points there, had a really like slow start to that Carolina game, but found a way to get it done, and then kind of shit the bed a little bit at the end of that Vegas Golden Knights game with the uh, the Marner giveaway. He had two brutal giveaways. Uh, both in well, one in overtime, one in the third period. Um, Alex, let's throw it to you first. Your thoughts on the back to back, how they played, and then uh, that kind of tailspin at the end of the Vegas game. Textbook Maple Leafs, man. That's literally <laughs> all I can say about it. I mean, you, you, this is the same team that lost 4 2 on home ice to Arizona, it's got, it got swept by mostly lottery teams on the California trip. I wrote a I wrote an article basically dissecting them and saying that they didn't have an identity. And then they went ahead and won three games in a row against some of the toughest teams in the league. So, I mean, this is just textbook Maple Leafs. And it just, again, it goes to show that, that this team, 
I, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought there for a second. They can just play goes, against the top tier competition they do to when they do when they can. They make I mean, you lose your train of thought. Even Philadelphia is looking pretty good right now. They're a top team right now. Obviously, a little you don't know how well that's going to like you know maintain consistency. Good, I think Carter yeah. Hart has been but carried. to take you know seven of eight points against some top teams in the league, that is huge. But where was this against Arizona, San Jose, Anaheim, where those should have been clear-cut wins? Would either of you argue that the 20-save performance against Vegas might have been one of the best 20-save performances in a loss for, for a goaltender ever? Like, Eric Schalgren looked looked good in that game. I, yeah. I, I really do believe that the Leafs mm-hmm. the Leafs kind of hung him out to dry, and, and he didn't get a lot of action. His his numbers weren't ideal. That said, like he made some some tough saves in some tough situations in that game. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and again, all three, all four of those goals were basically odd man rushes or breakaways because of a turnover. And you know that's been the whole thing this whole entire season. Puck management, puck management has been the main key. And even Sheldon Keith said post game. You want to be an elite team, you need to be elite in managing games. You've got to close that game out. And this was obviously by the Canadian press, uh, by Josh Clipperton, who wrote that article. But at the same time, yeah, I, I don't understand how you could be elite against some of the top tier teams, but not maintain that dominance against lower tier teams. And the- that's not to say that they're going to be like, you know, games where you know, it's always going to be an easy out, but you should be prepared because they're going to come out funny and you need to have your best foot forward. Yeah, the crazy part about the Vegas game is like the Leafs had it. The Leafs had it in the bag too, yeah. right? And and Marner with this unbelievable snipe, Lilligren played arguably his best game as a Maple Leaf. Um, and, and then it's like everything that Marner did in that game gets thrown out the fucking window because of a, a brutal fucking giveaway in, in overtime. And then he overskates the play he overskated mm-hmm. the play and you can like we can we can talk all we want about how you know Mitch Marner needs to have the confidence to play in Toronto he needs to have he needs to be babied a little bit because he needs to he needs to have that confidence to play on that top line and in front of family and whatever else but you have to earn that confidence as well and when you're making shitty mistakes shitty plays like that that cost you the game you know, people people forget very easily what you do for this team. He could have a 100-point season. If in game seven of the first round, Mitch Marner throws a pizza up the middle to, fuck, I don't know, Patrice Bergeron and he rifles at home, guess what? People forget that you had a seven-point playoff going into the going into the game seven. Like, that's that's where the mentality is with the, with the Maple Leafs fans. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know uh, what? Uh, it's just it, it's just hilarious how that Peter, you wrote the article on it the other day. This is literally history repeating itself once again. And you know, all we can hope for at this point is that history stops repeating itself after the month of November because I don't want them to repeat the way that they played from December into March and April last season. A lot of that's going to depend on how the goalies hold up. Um, and in terms of the Vegas loss, you know. I think it was a matter of them shooting themselves in the foot, but I think that was the first time this season when I haven't been overly upset with a loss because at least the effort was there. They played a good game. They just, you know, every goal you can attribute back to a giveaway. It was Sandine on the first goal. 
Lilligren on the second goal, Nylander on the third goal, and Marner on the last goal. And not to mention, you know, Marner gave the puck away on that last goal, but where the hell was Morgan Riley and all that? He was oh, like, yeah. he, was, he was caught up near the blue line, and, and Riley he plays forward in overtime. Yeah. He plays forward in overtime. I, you every know time. what? Every time. The Leafs, the Leafs need to stop starting Matthews, Marner, and Riley in overtime. Because they've lost, I think, all three. Uh, not Sorry, not all three. They did win the one with Robertson. But they've lost two out of the three overtimes they've played in this year. And both times, I think it was when, more, when Marner, Matthews, and Riley were on the ice. Um, going forward, I'd like to see a little more Tavares, Nylander, and, you know, fuck Lilligren. Get those yeah. three guys on the ice at the same time. Yeah. And maybe he'll fare, fare a little better. And then once, you know, you've established possession and you're, you've been controlling the puck a little more, then you send Marner and Matthews out to, to, to sort of keep that momentum going. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think honestly, I, I wouldn't mind if if Riley was stapled to the bench in overtime. Um, and again, not a knock on, on Morgan Riley. I know I'm sitting here ripping. I'm just throwing darts at, at uh, Morgan Riley this episode, but he just he does so many things that can piss you off as a fan. Uh, you're, you're sitting there watching it, and you're right. He was up over across the blue line before the play even got there, and you know you're you're the last man back. You're the last man back. And you, you know, you've got to be the one that, that defends and, and that's your, that's your position. So um, aside from that guys, Matt Murray is expected to be back this week, hopefully potentially this weekend. Um, obviously that'll be a sight for sore eyes uh, as, as the Leafs have kind of been relying on their fourth and fifth string goaltenders at this point to, to get them through, which, you know, to, to their credit have done, have done the, the work to get it done. Um, but Peter, your thoughts on Matt Murray coming back is is this uh, is this the start of of maybe some positive positive vibes for the Toronto Maple Leafs? You would like to think so because I mean you want to see more than one game from Matt Murray because let's face it, he had great moments in that Montreal season opener, but the defense really left him out to dry in certain in certain situations, especially on that game winner. Um, Obviously, I, I believe I read somewhere that this injury came out of nowhere. So it was kind of like out of the blue kind of thing. And hopefully now that he's all healthy and he's all ready to go, this should be a good sign because now you want to see. We've already saw what Ilya Samsonov can do. I mean, throughout all of October and early parts of November before he went down was carrying the load and he was looking very fantastic um, in a stint as a Maple Leaf uh, or as a starter, because now we're going to go on a possibly going to go back to that one a one b when both are healthy but now this is matt murray's chance to try and say hey you know what samsona put up great numbers now it's my turn to try and do the same thing i want to show that that they brought me in to be a starter to be a number one and to you know give me that second chance opportunity because of everything that has happened in the past with him injuries you know being up and down with the ottawa senators covid signing and being traded to a team that had no business contending now you're on a possibly, well, we like to think they're a contending team, but with the way they played in October, maybe not so much. But he has a chance to come in, stop the bleeding with the defensive play, and maybe give them some reassurance and say, hey, guys, listen, I got your back. Help me help you kind of situation, because if you help me make my job easier, then things are going to work out great. If he's able to have the preseason, Matt, or if we're able to see the preseason, Matt Murray, where he looked absolutely great, this is going to be fantastic. And I, and there should be, you know, reasons for optimism when he comes back or when he plays a game, because, you know, they have high hopes for him and he did look great in the preseason. So hopefully 
he's able to write the write the ship and hopefully everything works out because if it doesn't, then they're just going to have to rely on one goalie again, like they did last year in Jack Campbell instead of Peter Mrazek. And now it's going to be Ilya Samsonov instead of Matt Murray. So it's just going to be whirlwind carousel and goaltending, but hopefully it works out. Alex, if, if the Leafs can't get it done with Matt Murray, are we seeing a move? Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of that depends on exactly how bad he does and what exactly his health is because I think you know if he, if he gets to a point where his health isn't right quite where it should be then you know you, maybe there's the option to put him on the LTIR and then you can go out and acquire a different goalie but I'm not giving up on Murray yet I think mm-hmm. you know horrible luck in the on the first you know right ahead of his second game for him to pull his groin there you know he made some huge saves against Montreal that glove hand is obviously a big work in progress still but at this point the bar is on the fucking floor Jack Campbell last year was not good outside of the first two months of the season. And Peter Mrazek, we know what he was all year. If Samsonov can keep playing the way that he is, then you can rely on him to start a ball for the games. And Matt Murray, you know, as long as he can show up and provide a save percentage of even over like 900, I think they'll, I think they'll be fine. So I don't think the Leafs are asking too, too much of Matt Murray. I just, I, I need to see it to believe it first. And I hope that he can, he can build himself a little bit of a streak here once he comes back from his injury. Well, gentlemen, uh, ahead of Hockey Hall of Fame induction week, Boreas Selming is back in Toronto and pending his health will be honored before both weekend games. So that's great news to to have Boreas back yeah. in t- Toronto. Obviously, he's battling ALS. So big, big, big news for him. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully he's able to make it out to both games and, and be honored the way that he deserves to be. Um, before we close it out here, a couple of quick NHL notes. Obviously, the Evander Kane cut. Um, just horrific, horrific. If you saw it, you can see him skating off the ice screaming. Um, we, we do hope that, uh, you know, obviously he's safe and, and recovering well. Um, you know, you never want to see any, any kind of injury like that. Um, and then before we, before we close it, I, I, I want to know if either of you guys saw the JT Miller giveaway in the, in the Vancouver game. I believe it was last night. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I did. I tweeted about it. I said, <laughs> I said that this is exactly what Don Cherry era Leafs fans think. Of <laughs> that's right. That's right. You did. And you, you know did. what? The word and to quote Steve Dangle, I don't know what was worse between the initial giveaway and his reaction after the giveaway. He literally stood there and watched Kirby Doc skate. He didn't even have to skate anywhere. He was literally the, he was literally the, he was the safety right there. He was right in front of the goalie, and he he sat there and pivoted his skates and watched Duck pull the puck, uh, pull the puck by him and put it through uh, Demko's five pull. I could have sworn was... I, I saw online that somebody said Justin Hall would have dove for that puck or at least try to like break it up or something. And it's I like, was... man, seeing that was just really, really egregious. I'm like, what are you thinking? It made, I, it made me, me feel better about the, the Marner giveaway in the Vegas game. It made me feel me, so much better. Yeah. To me, it looks like JT Miller kind of mailed it in now that he's secured the bag and locked up that deal. That could that could end up being an oh, awful yeah. deal for Vancouver if he keeps putting up bullshit efforts like that. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, j- anyways, boys, we've got big news. The next live show for Sticks in the Six is November twenty first. That's a Monday. Monday, the Islanders are in town, twenty two Front Street. Steps from the Hockey Hall of Fame. The bottom line is going to be absolutely popping. We're going to be in the locker room uh, 
in the locker room studio doing our thing. I believe we have a guest lined up for that as well. Uh, we'll we'll wait a little bit closer to the date just to get that uh, get that out there as well. But uh, gentlemen, it's going to be a lot of fun as as we had last time. Go down, have a few beers, make sure that you're coming out to the show. If you're listening to this show, I want to see you at the bottom line on November 21st. That's a Monday. Come down, have a drink. Let's have some fun. Let's watch the Leafs. Let's watch Johnny T score a few goals against his former club. Um, on top of that, we got a fun. We got a fun guest for that show too. We haven't. Uh, yes, we haven't yes. Really, uh, I, I was saying we'll, we'll wait a little bit list. closer to maybe yeah. next week. We'll announce the guest as well. Um, but yeah, 22 Front Street, Front Street uh, steps from the Hockey Hall of Fame. We're actually right <coughs> next to it. Uh, lots of fun. Um, and gentlemen, as I mentioned off the top of the show, it's November. Check your balls. Make sure you're good. Grow a mustache. Do what you need to do. Get get right up here as well. Get right up here. That's what you know. That's what's important. Mental health is your health. Physical health is your health. Make sure you're doing the right thing. Aside from that. Check us out on Twitter. You can follow Alex at A Hobson Media. Follow Peter at P Barracchini. Follow myself at Andrew G Forbes. Or you can follow the show at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Make sure you hit us up on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We were actually number one on Good Pods. I have no idea what that is, but number one hockey show. I'll take it. So check us out. If you're not listening to us, you've made a mistake. Otherwise. We'll see you next week for episode 103.